Hello, everyone. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we discuss the challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color in the U.S. and globally to access funding to grow or scale innovative ideas and to demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. This season, I'll be doubling down on conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access to funding for founders who've been traditionally underrepresented in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Following on from my series of conversations with angel investors, future females invest based in Mauritius, East Africa, I'm turning my attention to Citrine Angels located here in my backyard in the Washington, D.C. area. Limited access to capital for women and women of color is a global phenomena that impacts women globally and here in the U.S. According to 2020 Project Diane report, the number of Black and Latinx women-founded startups in their 2020 database has doubled since the project started in 2018. In 2018, there were 334 startups in the database, and in 2020, there are over 650. And more of them were funded in 2020 than ever before. So a few stats. 57% of Black women-led startups were funded in 2020, up 40% from 2018, and 69% of Latinx women-led startups were funded in 2020, up 64% from 2018. These numbers are positive, but for certain demographics of entrepreneurs, the numbers are still low. The $1 million or over funding club for women in particular is growing, um, but there still needs to be more work done. So that's why it's important to have women, more women in the funding ecosystem as capital allocators supporting other women. With that, I will introduce my guests. Today, I am joined by two members of Citrine Angels, Aurelia Flores and Tasha Jones. Ladies, welcome to the WTF podcast. Thanks for having us. Yes, glad to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about Citrine Angels, why it exists, and who you serve. Aurelia, I'll kick that one over to you. Sure, so I'm one of the co-founders of Citrine Angels, and um, Citrine was actually the brainchild of Allison Redpath, and she asked herself, wait a minute, the Washington DC metro area has a great number of educated women, women who are doing wonderful things. Why don't we have a group of women investors focused on investing in women founders. And she took it upon herself to create that group. And um, while I do, and I'm proud to call myself a co-founder of Citrine Angels, um, I do have to say that I think she uh, encouraged us to get involved telling us, oh, it's not gonna be that much work. And then, you know, next thing you know, <laughs> right? I see, I see Tasha laughing. It's the next thing you know, you're like, you know, working 20 to 30 hours a week on a volunteer labor of love project. Um, and I think it's been a really important thing to do. So it is important to get women investing in women. It's a different experience when it's a woman founder pitching to a group of women. A lot of women don't know about this asset class. And so it's important to get them exposed to this and at least make it available as an option and on and on. There's a lot of things I could say about it. So when the idea was presented to you, what made you say, yes, this is something I definitely want to do? Um, I said I would definitely join, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, 
I did have to, I did take a little bit of arm twisting to get involved and be um, a co-founder and on the original board. Um, so when I first started in the angel and VC ecosystem over 25 years ago, there was a lot, there was a lack of investing in diverse founders then and inclusivity, transparency, accessibility has always been very important to me, particularly in the realm of wealth and money. And so um, I saw Allison's vision before she started Citrine Angels, I was involved in another angel group that invests in women founders. Um, and so I thought, yeah, could that be something we should do in the greater DMV area? Absolutely. What are the opportunities, let's say, for women in the area who might have some extra money laying around? How should they be thinking about um, angel investing as a part of their, their investment or wealth building portfolio? So I think it's the wrong thing to think you've got extra money laying around. I mean, hopefully you don't, right? Meaning, <laughs> meaning hopefully you're putting your money to good work. Right, you're not just having money sitting there that's not working. You've invested, you. and but maybe you have some but money you that's have not a, you being have that a portfolio, and you're thinking, yes, right. So I think I think um, women who have a portfolio of assets generally think about, oh, I'll invest in the public markets, or and or I'll invest in real estate. I mean, that's kind of the realm of what people understand, and they don't necessarily know they can invest in private companies or they don't know they can do it kind of systematically and over time. And so, and now we have other asset classes as well, right? So you can think about Bitcoin or you can think about a lot of other things that people are investing in. And what I want women to know is that when you look at your portfolio as a whole, any investment advisor will tell you, you should have things that are super stable and you should probably do at least a few things that are a little bit risky. And angel investing is a little bit risky. Nobody's going to suggest you put your entire portfolio into an angel investing or even a huge amount of your portfolio. I mean, the standard advice is about 5% of your portfolio on something that's really more risky like angel investing. Um, those of us who have a higher risk appetite might put a little more of their portfolio in something that's a little bit risky. And I think it's useful for people to know this is an option. And it's a lot of fun. That's right? what I was trying yeah. to get to, getting yeah. more women to learn that it's an option mm -hmm. and that it's not an option that's as far out of reach as they would originally think. So Correct. tell us um, a little bit, and Tasha, I'll get to you soon, but tell us a little bit more about, you know, what are the different levels of angel investing? Because, you know, you could be an, an accredited angel investor and you're coming in with, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars or you could come in at a smaller ticket size. So what are the ticket, various ticket sizes for um, Citrine Angels and where can women get in based on um, ticket size and their appetite for risk? Yeah, so I think, I think historically at least, you, or at least I did, I will talk about myself only. I thought, oh, to be an angel investor, you need to be kind of a multimillionaire, maybe a billionaire, and you're writing checks of several hundred Many thousand dollars. Many of us dollars. think that. So let's try and demystify that on this, right. on this conversation. So to be an angel investor in an angel group like Citrine Angels, you do have to be an accredited investor. So an accredited investor is either a certain amount of income, so over the past couple of years, or a certain amount of net, um, net worth 
or it can also you can also be an angel investor if you have certain um, certain professional background. So let's say you're a securities broker or something like that, right? So the income level is is two hundred thousand per year for an individual, three hundred thousand per year for a couple, or a net worth of a million dollars. So when you and then like I said, there's other professional credit um, professional certifications or background that you can have instead of those two things. But historically, that's been the idea. And the idea is that if you have that amount of income and or net worth, that you can write a check. And if you lose it, you'll be okay, right? Because we just, we just said this is risky. Generally speaking, most startup companies in the venture backable ecosystem have a minimum check size to be able to get on their cap table, meaning most founders don't want to have hundreds and hundreds of people that are saying they own a little piece of this company because as they try to raise money, it's going to get more and more complicated the more people they have on their cap table. So we generally see inside of Citrine Angels a minimum check size of around twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Now, not all of our members want to write a check of twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars, particularly let's say over the course of a year, if you want to invest in a number of different companies. But we suggest to women that the minimum check size be $5,000. Now they can do less than that, but in order to meet the minimum check size, remember I said companies will often require a minimum of $25,000, you're gonna have to put together a group of women to invest together. And in order to invest together, you're gonna create something called a, a special purpose vehicle, but it's an LLC. And in order to pay the fees to set that up, it generally doesn't make sense for less than $5,000. So you can invest less than that if somebody will take a, a smaller check size and if, it, and if the people in the SPV, there's enough of them that it, the fees make sense. But we're usually talking at least $5,000. But people are writing $10,000 checks, $15,000 checks, $25,000 checks, $50,000, $100,000. What's the process for becoming a Citrine Angel? You go to our website and you sign up. Like it's literally and that's it. that easy. Yep. So very yep. little barriers to it. Yep. You just have to certify that you're an accredited investor and everybody is welcome. And I think the big difference for Citrine Angels is twofold. Number one, our membership dues to, to become a member of Citrine Angels is very, very low. Most angel groups there annual dues are at least 2,500 and ours are under a thousand. The other thing is we don't require you to invest at a certain level immediately. Most angel groups will require every single member to invest 10 to 25,000, maybe 50,000 or more every single year in order to be a member. And we don't require that. Now we encourage people to write at least a $5,000 check in the first 12 months of being an being a member, but we don't require it because we know it might take time to mm -hmm. understand the landscape, to get comfortable and to be familiar enough with the process to write a check. So what support do you provide to get uh, members familiar with the process? What is their training? What's the process? Yeah, all sorts of things, but Tasha, maybe you want to answer some of that. So no, I'll turn to Tasha. Oh, you want me to, you want me to answer that first? Okay. And then sure. I'll, I'll turn to Tasha. Okay. Um, we offer education internally to the group. Um, we have a 
we have education sessions that we as members provide to other members. We also offer a membership into the Angel Capital Association. And there is a number of different educational sessions in there, hundreds and hundreds of hours of educational sessions, actually, if, if somebody wanted to dive in and do them all. Um, we also walk people through all of the steps from soup to nuts and doing an angel investment. And we encourage people to get involved in the committees. So for example, we have the deal flow committee and they do everything from pre-pitch screening to bringing companies to the members at large, to helping members go through the due diligence process, to helping them set up an SPV and then writing the check. Now we as a group are not writing checks because we're a nonprofit, but we provide the support at every stage to help women do that. We encourage them to get involved if they want to and learn how the whole process works. And people can take that in bite-sized chunks, however it works for them. So Tasha, I'll turn to you now. So unlike Aurelia, who was one of the founding members, you came later. Now, what was attractive to Citrine Angels about um, to you, and why did you decide that you wanted to become an angel investor? What was your process for deciding that, okay, I'm thinking about angel investing and then actually doing it? Well, I, I actually didn't come that far after. <laughs> I wasn't a part of the, um, the co-founding group, but I actually knew Aurelia prior to um, this happening. And I actually, really, I think you're the one who invited me to uh, Halcyon and um, Allison Redpath happened to be there. And I remember the conversation about how she wanted to start up a group. And I was like, oh, definitely. I'll, you know, make sure to keep an eye out for when you guys go when you launch. Because like Aurelia, I was kind of like, I don't, I don't want to have responsibility <laughs> on a board or anything. I didn't feel like I was there yet. Um, but I had done some angel investing, but I didn't know that that's what it was, um, just by helping out people that I knew, uh, who needed funding. But I think my process at that point wasn't strategic. It was more, uh, emotional. And I would like to caveat that I do think emotions are critical and important to making decisions, but it shouldn't be the only thing um, driving your investment decisions um, because every all these great founders out there can pull at your heartstrings and you'll want to give everybody money. So, um, but yeah, so I, what attracted me to it is that I actually had come across uh, learning more about different investments. And like Aurelia said, I was focused more on real estate but I was just doing research about different investment schemas and methods and techniques. And um, I knew Aurelia was with another um, angel investment group and was talking to her about that and was considering them. And so um, I wasn't uh, sure if I wanted to have to pay a certain amount of money every year, just starting out being that I wasn't, you know, hundred percent sold that I, I wanted to do this consistently as a part of my um, investment portfolio or investment thesis. And so um, when I found out about the terms with regards to Citrine Angels, it had a bit more flexibility. It was a lot more uh, beginner friendly. Um, the education piece I think was really what, um, what got me is that, uh, 
you know, we're providing a safe space for newer uh, investors or interested investors to come and be amongst other women that are like-minded and they actually help um, you figure it out. And because of the, the SPV vehicle that we leverage, um, it does allow people who may not, they may not have as much money to invest in annual um, deals, um, but they can still get, you know, be a part of helping out other women founders and actually gain those benefits of better terms um, because they are going in on a higher overall check that's being written on behalf of, you know, the group. Um, and then we do have opportunities to directly invest, like um, Aurelia stated before, where if you want to cut, write a check or maybe there's not um, enough other women that want to go in, but you can meet that minimum um, re investment requirement for the founder, you can definitely do that. But even when you do that, the women that are part of Citrine are so open and given, like if you're, you have questions, um, they're there to kind of help. Um, guide you through that process and answer any questions that you have. So you said in the beginning, you weren't sure that you wanted to do it. What brought you over from being unsure to being a bit more certain that this is something that you wanted to do? When I wrote my first check. <laughs> um, Tell us about it. It's kind of addicting. Uh, it's, it's, because, you know, I like to help people anyway. That's just, that's just like a part of who I am. And um, being blessed to have the capacity to be able to financially influence and, and support women who have some great ideas. Um, and historically, I, I do focus on Black and Brown founders. Um, I know that's a part of my thesis. Um, because, you know, I, I've just known too many people had great ideas and then they weren't able to either get off the ground or even scale um, because they just couldn't get the, the, the funding, um, you know, the support. Yeah. And that's and an so, opportunity cost that impacts the, the entire economy as a whole. Yes, I, definitely. And so uh, I don't know if I can explain. I guess I could, you know, I, I, I don't want to adversely characterize angel investing with gambling. Um, because that it, it's not bad, but it definitely is a, like, it's a rush to be like, yes, I did something good. And to write that check and then start to track and engage even more with that founder. Cause you're going to want to see how, you know, that investment, um, how that founder is maturing and growing through the process. And um, when you tend, when you write that check, you're often given those updates on the back end that, that may not be out in public. And you start to learn more about like what they go through and all of the pain points and the requirements to pivot. And you have that intimate connection with that investment. And it just makes you feel that much better. Like, okay, I'm, this is, this is necessary. It's needed. And I'm helping, I'm contributing to that. And then when you have those positive big moments, you're like, yes, I was a part of that. And so, um, I think that's, I would have to say that the, the initial, like, yes, this is what I want to do was after I wrote that first check. Because before you're just scared, um, right? You're kind of, you're excited, but you're scared and you're a little nervous about like, how is this going to work? Am I just writing like a donation check? And, you know, it's kind of, you just don't know. But then once you get into it, it definitely is a labor of love. Like you really have to um, have more than just giving the money piece. It has to be something that you just 
that's a part of what you want to do in helping others. So then this leads me to my next question about the value of, ha of having more women as capital allocators um, and not just the funding, but the beyond funding. Talk to us a little bit more about just the support and the environment that you as an investor, Citrine Angels as an angel in investment group provides to its, its, uh, its founders who will become a part of its portfolio of investment. So it definitely is an ecosystem um, that has all different types of requirements that have to be nurtured in order for it to remain healthy. Um, and it, you know, it's not like, you know, flowers and butterflies and, you know, sugar and honey and all that good stuff, just because it's women, you know, it's business as well. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into um, nurturing and managing, you know, a, a group like Citrine Angels. Um, for our member base, I feel like the support is there with regards to um, that camaraderie and education, um, opportunities for leadership, um, those are there because we are a working board. Um, and then participating in the committees, there's opportunities to upskill, not only just with your investment um, acumen, but with, you know, with other hard and soft skills and technical skills, because like any other business, we have technology stacks and not everybody is, a, you know, uh, adept at uh, using those tools and things. And so there's many ways to step up and engage and I would say from a founder perspective in our ecosystem, you know, we, we are women investing in women. And so that's more than the financial investment. Like you said, it's, it's that uh, emotional investment, but it's also being honest and being direct. You know, we have founders and, you know, if there's something that they're doing and it, and it is egregious or it's something that we know is not going to be good for them going forward, giving that feedback. Um, after the fact and, 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 and working with the founders that we do invest in to provide advice, um, to help support and um, give references to other agencies for um, additional pitch opportunities or potential follow-on that may come as they mature. Um, and, you know, we have partnerships. We, we try to develop partnerships with other angel groups um, because just, you know, there's just as many flavors of angel groups um, as there is, you know, businesses and companies, um, they have different focuses and different um, demographics within within their membership. And so, for example, you want that, and not just like you know ethnically um, or socioeconomic, but you want from an educational perspective. It's very good to have that diversity because you get all different types of deals that may come through. Um, and if you got a deal that's coming through and it's a medical device. Well, it'll be really good to have people who have technical background, but also physicians who understand what are the right questions to ask, to interrogate, you know, this founder and to ensure that when we're doing due diligence, that we are digging in the right places or we're prioritizing, you know, appropriate features of um, um, their business model that are going to be important to the success or failure of that particular deal. And so I, I really feel like the ecosystem that we we nurture and support considers all of those various components um, that are required in order to ensure that, you know, the organization can be sustained. And I, I know we're probably gonna be talking about sustainability and, and 
a follow on, but that is definitely critical because you hear about food starting up and eventually mm-hmm. going away and things like that. This is a part of that, making the ecosystem healthy to support the ongoing and continuous um, mission of basically us investing in other women. That was a great okay. response. Aurelia, you can add to that, but I, I also want I wanted to kick it over to you to talk about your process for um, sort of deal sourcing and vetting and doing due diligence for um, the the founders that that come your way. Yeah. Um, so let me let me add on a little bit about to what Tasha said with regard to the support we offer to women, not just at time of investment, but afterwards. So I would say in being an investor, I have learned a lot about business generally. And I think that is a benefit for angel investors that they may not think about, right? So so most of us have been professionals of some sort for 10, 20, 30 years. So we come to the table with a certain level of experience. And when you're seeing a number of different kinds of businesses come month after month and you're learning like, oh, this particular um, company really needs to work on their financials. This This particular company really needs to look at their supply chain. This particular business really needs to think about their tech stack. It gives us as angel investors an ability to hone those skill sets, like Tasha said. And for somebody like me who grew up, um, you know, in a family that didn't have a lot of money, that we didn't talk about wealth building around the table, that wasn't part of my history. I think there is a lot to be said for getting women in those rooms and learning how how business gets started and and is grown. Now, all of that said we're talking about venture backable businesses, right? So that's only 3% of businesses. And there's another 97% of businesses we could talk about. And that is also an important conversation to be had. So it is a small subset. For founders, I think we try to do things for longevity, meaning we do try to give feedback, good feedback, which I don't know that other angel investor groups do. We try to be really efficient and build our processes so that we're thoughtful about women giving us their time because we know it takes a lot of time to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely care about making connections and so not just local connections to other angel groups, but national connections to other women angel groups that want to invest in women or funds or what have you. And I think the other thing that we offer for founders, which I think was mentioned before, but bears repeating is that it is different when we understand the problem, right? Because there are founders that come in and they don't have to explain the problem if it's a problem that is endemic to women mm-hmm. more generally. And I think we have heard over and over again that that makes a huge difference um, when women are solving a problem for other women, but most of the groups that they're pitching to are groups of men. Yeah, um, that this reminds me of, um, so Sarah Blakely recently just sold Spanx and I remember her talking about when she was just trying to start that. Um, just not being understood what she was trying to do. But she understood the problem from a gender perspective, like what women women need. And, and so she created a product to meet their needs, but she was you know, pitching to men who just didn't really understand it from that perspective. So there, there is value to sort of to having that gender lens um, when 
um, women uh, founders come, and especially if they're they're proposing a solution or an idea that is a has an element of gender to it, you can probably understand better than someone who doesn't face those problems. That's right. So all sorts of solutions around caretaking or child rearing or other kinds of things that certainly men take part in, but may not be the primary for, and or may not understand those levels of problems, or, you know, uh, products that are addressing issues of menopause, or, you know, all of these kinds of things that are around women, and women's health and women's needs, it's really important. Um, your question, though, was about deal flow, and how we source deal flow, and how mm -hmm. we um, get great companies to pitch to us. And Part of it is just being out there and putting the word out and then consistently looking and being in touch with all of those other networks. So Citrine Angels is a group of, uh, a part of a group of angel groups that are focused on investing in women. So we know all of the other angel groups in the country that invest in women, for example. We're really clear locally, hey, we put out stuff to we put out stuff. We put out emails and phone calls and other kinds of communications uh, with local angel groups. And they know um, of angel groups, accelerators, and so forth. We invest in women. Please send us people. And we're consistently going out and saying, hey, have you thought of anything? So it took time to get really good deal flow. But I think um, over the last couple of years, our deal flow has improved immeasurably, and we've gotten great companies in from across the country to pitch to, to our group, and we've been really proud of that. Um, and this year in particular, we've had just phenomenal deal flow. It's been great. So when you're, when you're vetting, what's, what's your process? You say, okay, pass on this. This seems interesting. Um, we would like to know more. One of the things that I'll say is that we do get people applying to pitch to us that are not venture backable businesses. So I think part of the part of the process that we try to take is to tell people this is what a venture backable business is, this is who we're trying to fund. And then what we also do is we put on our website, and if you are a venture backable business, we're also looking for companies who already have some traction. So we're not funding pre-seed companies. We're looking for companies who already have some revenue or some other um, evidence that they've got um, some traction. And in this case, it means generally having grants in place or maybe a government contract or really good um, supply chain or other things that we can say, okay, we can really see that there is some traction here. But, but honestly, it's very often revenue. And we're looking at revenue of somewhere between two and $300,000 annually before we'll even look at a company. So that's not at the very, very beginning. So for people who might be listening, who might not be as familiar with terms, can you break down what a venture backable business is so that there's clarity? Um, so that, you know, if, if somebody's out there listening to this podcast and they're considering maybe pitching to Citrine Angels that they know whether or not they're venture backable and should go ahead and hit that application button or be like, or let me pump my brakes, this is not for me. Yeah. So generally what we're looking for is a company that has a total addressable market of 200 to $500 million and that this company can scale very, very quickly and be ready for an exit in roughly five to eight years. That's 
very high level what I mean when I say venture backable. And it's usually, but not always tech enabled because to be that scalable that quickly, it usually is. But of course, Spanx is a great example of a, a product that was not tech enabled that's you know, venture backable. Um, and those are broad brushstrokes, right? So there's things that are outside that realm, but local businesses like a local restaurant, for example, or a local um, fitness studio, right? So if they're not looking to grow and scale really, really largely, very, very quickly, then they're not a venture backable business. The other thing that I like to point out to founders is if you are potentially venture backable, you may also choose not to take venture money because you are going to be forced to scale very quickly and you will get pushed out. I mean, that's the nature of being a venture backable business. You're a starter, you grow it to a certain level and then you sell it. If that is not what you wanna do, like if your business is your baby and even if it's potentially venture backable but you wanna do this for the next 20 to 30 years, maybe ask yourself if you really wanna go seek angel and VC funding. I think that's a good point to underscore because, you know, I think there's much more chatter now about angel investing and VC and all of this and, you know, these conversations around the funding ecosystem. And now everyone feels as if this is what they should do. Mm. So how do we get the right information to people and what are the right considerations when thinking about seeking investment? So... I, I just want to add on before we go to that, um, to what Aurelius stated in the venture backable businesses. Um, one other thing is the team. Um, that's very important as well. It's it, the relevant experience and, and having that. If, if you have a business and your team consists of, you know, your best friend next door you grew up with and that doesn't have any type of relevant experience to the market, uh, technology, uh, product type that you're um, that that is the core of your business, and you know everybody else on your team are friends, and you're describing it as a company that's supposed to be a legacy, um, you know, for your family. Um, that's great for you, but that is not. <laughs> You um, say that as if you've had this experience a lot. <laughs> uh, that well, I just wanted to put it out there because I know, well, you know, people are passionate about what they're doing, and it's not a bad thing mm -hmm. if that is what it is. But we also need to consider that what do, what do you mean by you know legacy? Um, is it you passing along this business, or is it the financial foundation for you know investing and building and having that? launch off that launch pad mm -hmm. um for your your future generations and so i just wanted to add that in there before we we answered that you know the question but i'll let aurelia continue with that i'll say a couple sentences and then i would love to hear your sentence sense of this too tasha i think we have this if you will shark tank moment where everybody thinks oh getting money from angels is sexy and good and that's the way to go and it's and the I'm, ultimate validation and it's the ultimate validation and i want to say no like it is one way to raise money there are a lot of ways to raise money out there and honestly i think it's important for us to talk about all of the other ways to raise money 
but it's one way to raise money. It's only available to only about 3% of businesses, as I mentioned before. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And you have to really think about if that's where you want to go to raise money, because some people are starters and they want to get things going and then they want to leave the operations to somebody else and be done. And some people want to build the skill set of, hey, I want to know how to grow a company from one to 10 million. And then I want to learn how to grow a company from 10 to 100 million. That is, those are amazing skill sets to have, but you're not going to build them overnight. It's going to take 20 years to learn how to build that skill set, generally speaking. So I tell people it is not the end all be all to get money from angels. It's like, really think about where you want to go as a company. And yeah, then, and, and then determine how you want to raise your money. I would, I would, I would ditto and piggyback on that to say that part is very, very, very important um, because, like you said, um, you may not want to give your business away and or transition that. And depending on how you do your initial raises, has a lot of influence on, you know, how um, interested some of your more mature level groups, such as your VCs, you know, um, their interest in, in investing. So just as an example, if you, if you do say like crowdfunding or crowdsourcing, like that's a way to raise money, right? Um, and it's been very popular and successful with a lot of founders um, that you have to be really good at marketing um, to be successful with that and know your audience. Um, but if depending on how you structure that, that crowdsourcing, it could have an adverse or negative impact on later rounds when you try to go and raise um, hot, larger amounts of money in, later in the business. So, um, and then, you know, having an idea of your exit or, or what, how you actually want to mature, that can actually inform um, how you go about getting funding, like Aurelia stated, and, and maybe leverage some other options that are out there, grants, um, you know, I know that a lot of time black and brown founders don't have the family and friends, um, but there are, you know, incubators and other types of um, options that are available to help you get going um, other than angel investors and VCs. I do want to also state that there are some some people, like I was saying when I first started, that I, I kind of was angel investing, but I wasn't doing it in the formal sense. Um, there are angels that invest in non-backable um, businesses as well. So, um, but I just wanted to, the angels can have many different connotations and descriptions depending on who you're talking to. Um, but when you're talking about angels in the con in the from the perspective of like venture capital PEs, like all of those different types of levels of investment mm -hmm. in a formal sense, it's not it's what O'Reilly stated with the venture backable um, investment. But there are angels who do invest in, in smaller shops and, and businesses that don't have that scale, that level of scale. Well, and the other thing that I've heard over and over and I'm a huge believer of is honestly the best way to fund your business is sales is your customer's money right <laughs> so. I, I i get the feeling that folks are forgetting that like your customer is your first investor like they want what you have to offer and they're giving you money for it so i i, I think there needs to be a re-emphasis 
and focus on that. And at the end of the day, that's what other investors want to see, that your customers have confidence in your product or your service, and they're giving you their money, which builds investor confidence in wanting to give you their money. So I think that's an important point to underscore. And, and I think sometimes folks are forgetting the importance of that because they're hearing all this chatter. There's so much noise in the space right now about investment and they are thinking that this is what they have to do. And they're not always leading with the end in mind. Like, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do with this? Like, what are you trying to, to build? So I think these are important points to underscore. Um, what usually resonates with you the most when evaluating a pitch or reviewing an investment opportunity? And either one of you can start. Um, for me, uh, it definitely is the founder and their team first. Um, and I say that because if, if, if the founder is a turnoff up front, it's like it's really hard to get to the next um, items to consider. Um, and their team definitely is a part of it too, because you're, it, it's almost like a relationship, right? If you're going to give, you're going to write a check, um, to a company for, for their product or their service or whatever they're offering, you're going into a relationship like a marriage with them. And if this founder is just so obnoxious and it's like, yeah, you know, I got this great product, but you know, I really don't need your money, but I'll take it if you want to give it to me. <laughs> and uh, you know, their team is, is, is kind of the same way or scared to death looking because they don't know what they're doing. It's like, that doesn't give me confidence that um, one, that, the, that they're going to be successful, um, that there's going to be a return on my investment that they're gonna make the right decisions because in addition to me having that black and brown um, focus being a part of my thesis, I also really like impact, positive impact as well. So um, if they're not making investments and doing the right things, especially around data, which is another passion, passion of mine, if they you know, are taking people's data as part of this technical capability, but they're going to try to monetize it in a way that could do harm. That's not, you know, that's not okay. It's in, in the founders, um, their, their characteristics and how they present themselves. And I'll do research. I'll go online and I'll Google them and I'll dig um, to see like, what kind of person is this? And um, who are they partnered with as far as their team? And what kind of people are they? And what type of decisions are they going to make? So I would say that that is, there's, definitely other things um, to look at other than, you know, the founder and their team. But the, I feel like the team and that founder are probably the most important and the most blaring um, when you first look at a deal. Oh, that's important because you're not just investing in a business, you're investing in people, the yes. people who are driving that business. And if you have certain values, you have to look for values alignment. Right. If, if, if you care about stuff like that to make sure it's a, it will be a good fit. So that's, yeah, a, that's an important point. Your portfolio is a representation of you, you know, so I, 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 I believe that. So, yeah. Aurelia. I was writing down that quote. That's a great quote. Your portfolio is a reflection of you. It's so true. Um, your portfolio is a reflection of you. Tasha Jones. Okay, I'm gonna. gonna, You might see that that quote floating around somewhere out there on the internet, Tasha. Yeah, tweetable reference for sure. Um, And I may have like absorbed it from somebody else, so don't quote me with it. Put anonymous. 
<laughs> no way. We're giving we're giving you big credit until someone credit else comes here, and claims somebody, it. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so one hundred percent, what Tasha said. You're investing in teams. Um, you're not investing in ideas by themselves. You're not investing in you know the market by itself. You're investing in teams because they have to execute, right? I mean, they have to execute and. So what I look for is I want to know that that a founder absolutely knows the market cold. They know exactly how they're going to sell into that market and they can draw me that picture and show me exactly how it's going to go. So I'm a numbers gal. I really like those and I love spreadsheets and I like looking at them and and I will dive in and ask tons of questions about numbers because I want somebody to, to I want to see how somebody thinks. Have you thought about this? How well do you know this? What's this going to look like? What happens if this isn't true or that isn't true? So if somebody doesn't really know their numbers and how their go-to-market strategy and what's happening, um, I'm not interested. And other people might be, but I'm not. And, and, and I also only invest in um, companies that have social impact and generally are always are, are, founded by some kind of underrepresented founder. Speaking of which, this is a good transition into my final question. What advice would you give to underrepresented founders um, when fundraising? Be sure you're ready. Like be sure you know what, what you're asking for and who you're talking to and just be sure you're ready. Um, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. And I tend to be pretty kind about that. So if somebody says something to me and I'm like, oh, clearly they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, okay. And I, I don't hold it against them, but that's not true for everybody. And um, we all don't know what we don't know. So it does behoove us to do, all of us, myself included, to do a lot of research and get to know the space before you go into it, if you can. And people will give you grace, I think, but I would say really know what you're stepping up for and, and be ready. That's good advice. What, what does readiness look like? Understanding the ecosystem, understanding what it means to ask for angel money, understanding um, what people invest in. So I work at a VC firm and we invest in education and workforce technologies, right? So education, future of work. We get stuff on our website all the time. Hey, this is the next best sports drink. Or hey, this is like, you know, we're doing this really great med tech, you know, startup. I'm like, okay, clearly you didn't do any research. We're part of a kind of spray and pray um, strategy of just sending everything out. That's not going to do you any favors. Yeah. I work in the grant space and I encountered the same thing. And I tell a lot of people, you don't get a grant because you fail to do a simple thing, which is to follow instructions, read and follow instructions. Um, so Tasha, what would be your advice? Ditto on what Aurelia said with do some research, um, not only about the space, but as you start applying, um, dig into the backgrounds of what who your potential audience is going to be for the group that you um, are pitching and then customize um, your your pitch to that group. Uh, I wouldn't pitch um, Citrine Angels the same way that I would pitch, you know, probably a more male 
uh, based investment group. Um, I'm not saying that you can't be your yourself um, because that would be the advice that I would give is to be yourself. And I know it's hard um, to do that sometimes when you feel like that's going to be judged. Um, but there's something to be said about authenticity. There's times where, you know, I've been more quiet and trying to fit in um, because that's what I've been told, you know, and have witnessed to be what works. But whenever I've dropped that guard and like, you know, well, whatever they think, I don't care. I'm just going to give it to them like it is. Those have been the times where, you know, people that I didn't even think liked me or, or appreciated my input um, actually come up and be like, I really appreciate that you did that. Or I like the way you said that, um, you know, and of course, you know, I might have girlfriends who are like, girl, that was so good. But, <laughs> but it's like, you know, that, you know, it's being your own self and speaking, speaking your truth and being candid and don't lie, don't fudge. Uh, when you're pitching, if you don't know something, own up that you don't know it um, and say, you know, make sure you let them know, hey, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but I will look into that after and I'll make sure to get back to you guys on the answer and then follow up and get back when you say that, like, don't just leave it hanging. Um, there's something just to be said about um, being consistent and being authentic and following up and being just a, you know, a good business person. Um, just more than half the battle is doing what you say. Um, you know, you can't, you can not be the most smartest cookie or the, the most, uh, what is it? Debonair presenter and, 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 you know, pull people in with your, with your charisma. Um, but just being who you are and following up and being consistent goes a long way. Um, so those are, that's what I would, would say. Um, right before this, I had a conversation with a young woman and we were talking about um, looking for funders and, you know, it's a two-way relationship. It's not just the, the investors doing their due diligence on you, but you as a founder looking for funding should also do your due diligence on the group or the individual investor um, who you're pitching to, to make sure that there is that alignment, right? Because it's a relationship um, that you're getting into and a relationship that involves money and ownership. So you have to make sure that some basic things are covered, that you your values align, and it's somebody who you like their way of business, they have the expertise um, that could be useful to you. So there are a number of things on the, you know, for a founder who's looking to, to look for beyond other than, oh, they're giving out money, um, just be a little bit more purposeful about what you're looking for um, and then who you're looking for, those things. So I will give you ladies one last chance to pitch Citrine Angels to women in the DMV area who might be interested in potentially joining as members. So I found that statistic, Michelle, that I mentioned to you before we started recording. 1.5% of accredited women are angel or venture investors compared to 30% of men in the same category. So one in three men who qualify as accredited investors are actually investing in angel and VC companies and only 1.5% of women. So how I do we say, get more? Women? I would say to women who are listening, who might want to be, who might, might want to join to train that we're welcoming. We would love to have you. We will make it easy and friendly. 
and you're making a difference in the world of wealth and money for women. Well said, Tasha. Yes, I I would say go to citrineangels.com. Do your due diligence on us, read up. There are several of us on LinkedIn, which is you know the go-to business platform. Um, look us up on there, reach out to us, ask questions, we will respond. We also have office hours. And Aurelia, I don't know if our office hours are posted publicly. I think they are on our site. Um, but check those out and join us for our, our office hours. Those are for current investors, wannabe investors, interested um, citrine angel, uh, soon to be sister angels. Um, If you are a founder, it doesn't matter. Um, Our office hours are open to um, have, well, to spread information about angel investments, to help founders understand like what we're looking for, to give feedback on pitching. Um, One of our board members uh, usually uh, is manning the office hours time to be able to answer those questions. And if we can't answer you right away, we'll get back to you. Um, and so I, I strongly encourage you to check us out, go to our site, visit us uh, on LinkedIn, visit us with our office hours and, and just give us a chance. You know, um, I don't think you'll regret it. I'm pretty sure you won't regret it. It's a good group um, and you'll learn a lot and you'll get a lot of experiences. Um, we do do a lot of virtual uh, events, but we are getting ready to do some hybrid testing. I'm excited. Um, to get back in person on some of the events. And so there's there's plenty of opportunity to um, engage and and get your feet wet and do it in a way that's not going to break the bank. I love it. That's wonderful. Um, that's a great way to wrap up the show. So if you're listening and you're potentially interested, show up to office hours, get your questions answered because we definitely need more women in the funding ecosystem as capital allocators. It matters. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the WTF podcast. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, please contact us at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you enjoy listening to your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe, stream, rate, download, review, all those good things. And I will see you on the next episode.